Welcome back to the podcast, folks. Welcome back to, I think, what is quickly becoming the highlight of Dan and I's week because we get to talk to the folks at home in a long format. We get to really dive in here. And this week, we're really going to be diving in to a, a grouping of 13 teams that we think are pretty special. But before we get into that, I want to dive into introducing a man who is pretty special. He's a one-of-a-kind guy. If not for his broadcasting ability, then at least for his ability to be loud vocally and loud fashion-wise. It's the loudest man in hockey, Dan K. Dan, welcome to the show. Lucas, you speak about my loud fashion, and uh, I feel like I'm never going to be able to wear a suit again. I, I, just, I just need to get out there in a suit. I have all my suits. They're sitting in my closet calling and Dan K, wear us. What are you doing? And I'm like, Sue, I think I might be going crazy, Lucas, from all this quarantining. But <laughs> I also, I, I just, I, I need to get one of these suits out. We need to go see some hockey. We're hoping to get out and call some games soon. But with that, it, those games we're going to call are probably going to be the NCDC next. That'll be the next few games we'll be on. But be, that's what we're going to be talking about this week. This NCDC, we've got a battle for Jersey going on. We got an old school rivalry in the north between IHC and the Boston Junior Bruins. We got to chat about the Boston Advantage took advantage of their first game with a shutout win. We got a goaltender in Damon Beaver who's been slapping his tail all over the place, stopping pucks and making things happen for his Jersey hitmen, setting records there in net. And we got a leading point getter in Liam McClinsky, a former All Star and an All Dan K team member that we need to talk about. But first, we've got to pay those bills. we got those reviews. Lucas Jones, each week, you talk about a brew that the parents at home can drink on their next trip out on the hockey road. But this week, I think you got something a little different for the folks. That is true. This week, I'm taking the word brew, and I am using it loosely because by brewed, I mean distilled, because I am going with bourbon. Uh, I have become a bourbon man, um, more a little bit more centrally focused as of recently. Uh, and I've been diving into the world of bourbon, and it's, it's been a delicious world and a delicious dive so far. Um, and I think I have found a really nice bourbon in terms of bourbons you can find everywhere. That's the point of the review. Beers you can find everywhere. It's the Four Roses Small Batch. And this is a bourbon that kind of comes in in that $32, $33 range. So it's very approachable in terms of the price. You're not going to feel like you're biting a bullet if you don't like it. And I think that's the hallmark. It's a good bourbon that you can find everywhere that isn't that expensive. You've got a, a very deep amber, almost yellowish color. I will uh, take a quick sip here. And the one thing I like about it is that it's, it's a little more woody than a normal bourbon is. I'm, I'm normally a, a Scotch person from the region of Ely, very smoky, very peaty. And this doesn't have a, a ton of that smoke, but it's got a lot of wood. It's got a little bit of vanilla. I'm picking up some cherry, just the smallest hint of some spice. It's very well-rounded, very approachable. I've had it in some ginger beer with uh, a couple Kentucky mules. It's been real good. Just had it with some club soda and lime. It's been phenomenal. So I think this is a great all-around drink that you're not afraid to mix because of the price, and you can drink straight because it's just that good. I love it. You got, you got a score for that thing? I, I, I'll tell you what, I always love a Kentucky Mule. 
I I am a huge fan of the Kentucky Mules. I've even procured myself a, a metal cup, a metal mug for my Kentucky Mules. Um, I give this one, this is the first bourbon I'm rating. So in, in terms of bourbons, I'm going to give this one an 8-1. I, I really like this. I think it breaks into that 8 category where it's something that is elevated. It is, it is above and beyond uh, and something that I'm definitely going back to. I love it, man. I'm always down for a good bourbon. You know that. And on my side, I'm always down for a good coffee. And as you know, ladies and gentlemen at home, Dan Kay is living that beach life this winter. I decided, you know, if we're going to be in quarantine off and on and we're going to be kind of keeping distant, keeping safe, what better way to do it than to head to Long Beach Island, New Jersey, the beautiful beach, the beautiful barrier island, keeping the rest of New Jersey safe from the rigors of the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful little beach town out here. And I've been enjoying my beach life, Lucas. And I headed over, and I'm going to be doing this this offseason, heading over to all the coffee joints here on LBI. And one of them that's just a, a stone's throw away from my house here. And I'll tell you, folks, they get really mad when you hit their building with a stone. As just joking. I didn't hit anybody <laughs> with a stone. It's Coastal Coffee here in beautiful Surf City, New Jersey. Walking right down the road, hit up Coastal Coffee. And I got one of their signature lattes. It's a maple oat latte. Oat milk in there, little maple. This thing smells like a breakfast that I, uh, breakfast of champions, I would call it. You take that first sip. And Lucas, I'll tell you, I always want to add an extra espresso shot because I'm a coffee guy to my lattes. I'd probably add another one of this. It's a little sweet, a little bit on the steamer side of the latte world. A lot, of, a lot of that steamed oat milk in there. It is oat milk, so you don't have that issue. You don't have that, that real milk-like bloat that you get sometimes, or you just feel extra full from having a latte. I think it's a nice drink. I think it's solid. A little on the sweeter side for what I like. I'd probably stay away from the maple next time. Stick with maybe a regular oat milk latte, a little extra espresso shot or dose. Uh, I'm giving this a, a, a strong 7-1. I think that's a, a reasonable score for the latte here. Coastal coffee, though, some awesome food, some awesome options, and an awesome place to be. You should get to Long Beach Island for a vacation, hockey fans, when it heats back up. Well, I am. Next time I come down for, uh, for a little outdoor socially distanced football Sunday, Dan, I might have to come down and grab that because – one of the biggest hacks that I've learned in my life is that when you see an item on the menu that looks delicious but looks a little too sweet, just dump two extra espresso shots in it and you're good to go. 100%. Always add more espresso, but you don't need to add any more espresso to Dan K because he is fired up about the free skate. The free skate is coming up now, Lucas, and we always talk about maybe what's going on in life with our guests or what's going on around the hockey world or just topics that we weren't planning on covering the show, but we needed to talk about. And, and we're both Yankee fans, folks. And this has been yet another tough year for Yankee fandom and another year where folks of other fan bases like Dan Bradley of the Minnesota twins or others around the country might say, Hey guys, stop complaining. You're always in the postseason." And while that is true and we are the greatest organization of all time, I am in a great deal of pain stomaching yet another loss in the postseason for the Yankees. Lucas, I think we got a lot to say. Yeah, you know, because if there's one thing the Yankees need, it's one starting pitcher. One $324 million starting pitcher, not Trevor Bauer, not Mike Clevenger, not any pitcher on the available market. Not, not a, a contact hitter. Bat, not a left-handed bat, not a guy who can put the ball in play. The Yankees' problem isn't the bats in the order. It is the order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Aaron Hicks can't bat three. He is a rally killer. He's a rally starter with the walking. So if you're going to put Aaron Hicks in the order towards the top, he has to be in the five spot where maybe he's starting a new inning. Giancarlo Stanton has to stay back in the order as well. The six hole is your best power position. That's where he should hit. I know he got hot for a little while, but normally he is not hot. Aaron judging the two hole doesn't make sense if you're going to have a contact hitting right-hander batting one. That's where if you're going to have Brett Gardner in the lineup, you need Brett Gardner. If you're not going to have Brett Gardner next year, you need a lefty that can hit in that spot. You need you need a lefty who can hit, you need a righty who can work the count, and you need somebody who can just put it in play and doesn't strike out. Well, you get the count worked by Judge and by and Stan still works the count a bit, and like some of these guys still see pitches. We see plenty of pitches. It's just the idea. So I don't think we need any help from the right-handed side. I think you keep everybody the same on the right side. You keep Hicks, and that's coming from me who hates Hicks. We just need someone to be a better version of Brett Gardner from the left side of the plate who you can plug into that two-hole, move Aaron Judge back in the order to the four spot. Glaber Torres, if he ever hits like Glaber Torres, can bat three for you. But the problem is you need consistency out of those guys. That's where it comes down to the players too. So you're, you're saying it's not the all or nothing. It's not that it's an all or nothing offense. It's the problem. It's that you bunch that all or nothing offense in the wrong way. It's the way they think of it. They build a lineup towards guy gets on base, guy hits home run, guy gets on base, guy hits home run. It's why the lineup was built. DJ LeMahieu won. Aaron Judge two. And you remember last year and the year before, they had Brett Gardner in only in the postseason batting three because the thought was he's a guy who gets on base. This year it's Hicks because he walks more than anybody in the team. He walks more than anybody in baseball, basically, because he never swings. Mm-hmm. But his on-base percentage is really high, so Hicks bats three. Four was Luke Voigt because he can hit a home run. Five, before he was hot, it, it was Stanton towards the end just because he was so hot. And they had to justify him. They had to move him up in their minds. But originally it was five was Glaber Torres because – I'm sorry, uh, Gio Urshela because he gets on base. Six was Gene Carlos Stanton because he can hit a home run. Seven was Glaber Torres because he gets on base. Eight was Clint Frazier when he was in the eight hole or, G, or Gary Sanchez because they can hit a home run. Nine was either Higashioka or Gardner. The thought is get on base, hit a home run. Get on base, hit a home run. Get on base, hit a home run. But when you do that – and the guys don't get on base, they, if they don't get on base every time up, you're fucked. Right. From a, from a statistics point of view, it's, it limits your risk because you're saying, okay, well, we're not trying to load the bases. We're not reliant on hits in the gap. We're just reliant on two guys, two guys, two guys. But the problem becomes that when in, in, a, in a two-person, in a duo, right, if one person fails, now you're just leaving the other person out to dry, Whereas yep. if you're if you're pitching if you're putting the lineup together in sections, you you're actually less risk you're more risk averse because you're you're allowing these guys to have their slumps and they can be moved around and they're not so codependent on each other. It's what the Astros do so well, and it's what these it's what they understand. It's what the Rays understood. The best hitting part of the Rays in the postseason was seven through nine. The best hitting part of the Astros the four years they've gone to the ALCS now is their seven through nine in terms of on base percentage. Because what they've done is they just put their three best bats, one, two, three. That just doesn't matter. Your three best hitters on your team are one, two, and three. The Yankees don't do that. Aaron Hicks is not one of their three best hitters. 
So you put your – arguably Aaron Judge wasn't one of your three best hitters in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So they, they already don't do that. So the Astros build their lineup, the Rays build their lineup. Three best hitters, get them on the plate. Get them up there every time you can. Four, five, six is literally just power guy at four in case the bases are loaded, and then two hitters who you trust to just hit the ball a little bit, usually just your power guys. Like four through six is take a shot. And then seven through nine is annoying guys who are hard to get out. You don't strike out, and they put the ball in play. The problem with the Yankees lineup is their seven through nine is strikeout home run guys. Their four through six is also strikeout home run guys. Their one through three is not their best hitters. Well, and, and it works out too because if you, if, you put, if you put seven through nine, you talk about this mythical third time through the lineup as being the thing that knocks out a starting pitcher, right? So you, in theory, you'd want your bottom guys on the second time through the lineup to get one or two guys on base with like one out so that the third time through your best hitters now are facing the pitcher at the most opportune time before he's potentially taken out of the game or you force yeah. him out earlier. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing with it is just like the lineup is built for longevity during the regular season because statistically speaking, once you score more than one run in an inning, I forget what the exact number is, but your win probability when you have innings of multiple runs scored is markedly higher than when you don't. So the thought process of bunching the bats together the way they do is the thought of a guy gets on base, someone hits a home run, it's now a multi-run inning, and you have a better chance of winning. Mm -hmm. Look at what the Dodgers are literally doing right now. Yep. The Dodgers are so different because the Dodgers have now built something where, like, everybody's every type of hitter because they just – they've spent money so wisely and drafted so well – like, the Yankees had a good two-year span where, like, they drafted well, and that's what they ended up with, the guys they have now. But the Dodgers have done this for 10 years now perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then they brought Andrew Friedman over, who was a GM for the Rays, who understood how to do it with nothing. And they said, hey, here's a blank check to do exactly what you do with the Rays. And instead of immediately panicking and going out and blowing up the team – he just said, okay, let me build from the bottom, and then has gradually added the right piece successfully with money each time. The difference between Andrew Friedman and the New York Yankees, the difference between Dave Dombrowski and Brian Cashman, is when Brian Cashman has had to pay for the one guy to fill the spot, he's paid for the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. When Dave Dombrowski needed to fill the spot, he got J.D. Martinez. When Brian Cashman needed to fill the spot, he got Brian McCann. He got Jacoby Ellsbury. He got A.J. Burnett. He always gets the wrong guy instead of getting the right guy, which Dave Dombrowski goes out and gets J.D. Martinez to fill a spot he needs. He, go, he goes and gets a guy in Mitchie Two Bags, Mitch Moreland, to fill a spot he needs in the Boston Red Sox won a World Series. Then you look at what he did when he was in Detroit. He went and got Miguel Cabrera. He went and got Doug Fister and then turned Doug Fister into more pitching. And, like, you look at what – Friedman did in LA. He went and got Mookie Betts. He went and mm-hmm. he went and got Justin Turner. Like it's just the difference in getting the right guy and the wrong guy has been what it is. It's Cashman does a really good job on the fringe players because of the Yankees advanced scouting department. They're really good at diving into other teams trash. But when it yeah. comes to the big man, you got to sign when you got to go get the guy. There is something missing with Brian Cashman. He never finds the right personality, the winning personality to share 
like another guy like that, where it's like great baseball players who weren't terrible, but they weren't the guy. Do you think he's like gun, gun shy? No, I, I don't think he's gun shy at all. I just think, I think he's always looking to expand his, he wants like, he's the guy who wants to buy every piece of property in the monopoly board. Mm-hmm. Right. So you try to strategically get yourself around the board before everyone else can buy all the pieces and buy all the pieces without ever overextending yourself. But the problem is eventually you run out of money or eventually you just done it wrong. You know what I mean? And people buy the right. pieces that were more valuable and you lose your value. You can't ever just buy the whole monopoly board unless everyone else isn't playing. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that everyone else wasn't playing because nobody else <laughs> yeah. had the money, mm-hmm. but now everybody's playing. And if they're not playing financially, like the Dodgers are, the Dodgers payroll's bigger than the Yankees. The Red Sox can spend just as much as the Yankees. The teams like the Mariners are spending now. Like, so you look at this stuff and there's more teams that are spending with you and the ones that aren't because of the competitive balance rules have figured out exactly how they need to function under the budget that they're given and they have from their ownership to max potential. And they're just getting outdone. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're, just one of those teams that right now is good enough to compete year in and year out. They're the Atlanta Braves, where the Atlanta Braves had all the pitching to survive the regular season every year, and then they just could never get over the hump. They didn't have enough on the back end. They didn't have enough in the bullpen ever. You know what I mean? They never had a guy to really just close it out. They didn't have that lockdown, and they were always playing the Yankees or someone else like that could get through them. We're like, this is what they are now. They are win the division every year begin the competition for the division every year, make the playoffs every year, but they just, it's the offense that pulls them through. When they get to the postseason, you're, you get exposed for your lack of length in starting pitching. They get exposed because Garrett Cole's Garrett Cole. I mean, Moss is clutch usually, but I mean, you leaned on him a million times, mm. a million times he's come through. He, he was due to not come through once and he didn't come through this year. Yeah. Then after that, you're, you're expecting big innings out of Jay Happ and Jordan Montgomery. And just like no team wins the World Series with pitchers like Jordan Montgomery or Jay Happ in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. Nobody has had pitchers that have that type of repertoire and that type of inability to get outs without with only being able to put the ball in play. Nobody, nobody wins games like that. The fact that Jordan Montgomery was pitching that elimination game should have been like alarm bells wake up calls like manning the battle stations that a team like the yankees and nothing bad against jordan montgomery but like the fact that he was the guy everything sets up for the yankees right now everything sets up you have the ability this offseason to finally make the right moves and the right move is luke void is controllable for three more years you package luke void in a deal with an arm or two another outfielder even you can package them with a Clint Frazier and send them back to Cleveland and you send them all to Cleveland for Francisco Lindor has got a year left on his deal that's money that you got to be willing to spend that puts Lindor at shortstop the best shortstop in the game in my mind other than maybe Javi Baez you put that moves Glaber Torres the second where glove wise he's so much better he has to think less hopefully he hits better moves DJ LeMahieu to first where he'd be an easy gold glove first baseman and leaves Geo over at third with Miguel Andohar backing him up. Mm-hmm. You lengthen out your lineup. You have a switch hitter in Lindor, a guy who's going to bat 300 for you, who gets on base and doesn't strike out a lot. 
He's now batting two behind DJ LeMahieu instead of Aaron Judge. It moves Aaron Judge to a proper position. It moves Hicks back to the four spot where he can walk more and be his, his own thing. Then do you grab One, Bauer or somebody lower profile? That's the thing. Then you need another arm. You need another starting pitcher. And if you want to spend, you spend on Bauer for one year and he'll sign a one-year deal because he's crazy and he thinks he'll never get hurt. Mm -hmm. And you spend $25 million to sign up for one season. Or you go and you get a guy that's going to have some more length in them. And, and that's going to be, you're going to have to see how that shapes out depending on who gets qualifying offers, who gets re-signed before this is all over. But there's no reason why they can't build this team to the get this team over the hump without two moves. It's two moves. It's one big move in Lindor, but moving Voight, moving Frazier makes you better defensively, makes you less, less right-handed, opens up space for guys below these guys that are trying to make their way up like Tyro Estrada and some of the other young names and allows you the flexibility to bring Gardner back since they love him so much in the clubhouse and he doesn't want to stop playing. Mm -hmm. And it changes the whole thing. That's it. It's two moves. I like that. That Tanaka's going to go back to Japan. Apparently they're going to offer him $20 million. So bye-bye Tanaka. All right, Lucas. I think we've, we've waxed poetic enough. We vented enough. I'm feeling a little bit better. And now I'm ready to talk NCDC hockey. And, you know, we talked about a team in the tri-state area that disappointed us, but now – we talked about two teams in New Jersey, man, who have been absolutely Garden State beautiful. Flowers are blooming. Hockey games are getting won. These two teams are going to be facing off against each other very, very, very soon, Lucas. And I'll tell you, though, right now they both sit atop the South Division, a 3-0-1 Rockets team just behind a 4-0 Hitmen team. And I guess you got to start with the hitman because, you know, you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And the hitman have certainly been the man, Lucas, for a long time here. 19 goals for and just two goals against in their first four games. Netminder Damon Beaver last week's NCDC Dan K. Show Player of the Week. The first netminder in the history of the NCDC to start a season with three consecutive shutouts. Just how good are the hitmen? Well, the hitmen are terrifying. I mean, let's be let's be realistic here. It's a team that has been so dominant over the last couple of years that it, it feels like a bit of a running joke to to sort of talk about them in first place. But it, you know, they are no joke, and and this is a team that the reason they're so competitive year after year is because of the development and the recruiting game. And you you talk about a goaltender who starts off the season with three shutouts, and there's not really much else you can you can ask for, you know. That's about everything you can ask for for a goaltender. And, you know, I think even though we're early on in the season, seeing a goaltender that can do that not once, not twice, but three times in a row, that should be the thing to worry about for the Jersey Hitmen. The, the offense of the Hitmen, I feel like, has to be an afterthought because no matter how, how well you do defensively, if you can't score the puck, you're just you're not going to win the game. So I feel like right now, for teams that are going up against the hitmen and watching what the hitmen are doing, the focus has to be not how do we stop the offensive attack. The the thought has to be how the heck are we going to score the puck? Yeah, and you look at Damon Beaver's stats through four games played, four and zero. 
he has allowed two goals on 104 shots faced. He's got a 9.81 saves percentage. He's got an 0.50 goals against average. It is literally impossible to beat him ever on average. The average of his net-minding ability is that it is impossible to beat him. Until that thing goes over one, you cannot be beaten as a goaltender, mathematically speaking, in the averages. And this is a kid who is just so good. Then you look at the familiar faces, Alex Mosian, who's Mosian on net man all the time, four goals for him. Liam McClinsky leading the league in points. Dylan Lugris there at the right wing. Jin Lee, the centerman, comes over and immediately making his mark felt. Daniel Ibrahim has been so good. That is a top-line forward for the All-Dan K team last year, Lucas. Patrick Keegan at the left defense. Tommy Wynn, who wins, wins, wins no matter what. Wins so much, he's got two ends in the name. Nick Amaya, Brandon Samino, Jared Overland. This team just comes at you with every single thing it's got. Toby Harris has it rolling in Jersey. But there might be a team nearby down that road just a little bit in the Rockets Hockey Club, Lucas, that wants to be a challenger. And one of the big names to step up for them so far with their 19-5 goal differential is Aiden Harper with a 9-5-1 saves percentage of 1.24 goals against average in his first four starts as he's 3-0-1, and he's already a UMass Lowell commit. So that tells you just how good Damon Bieber is as well. These two goalies might be the two best in the league right now. Well, I think I think one of the most interesting things here, Dan, is is the way the Rockets stack up against you know these other teams in the USPHL. In terms of where the Rockets are 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 being successful, I think it definitely does start with their goaltending. And, you know, these, these guys are just incredible. And we've talked about Aiden Harper, about how good he is. And they just, they just build this defense up. That, that's what they do. And that's where they're competing this year. You talk about Aiden Harper, who's got such a ridiculous saves percentage right now in, in the games that he's played. And, you know, it's, for me, it's looking at this team in the context of what their premier and elite teams have been so well known for. It's looking at, at this NCDC team and finally seeing a Rockets hockey club squad that looks at the NCDC the same way that it looks at the elite and the premier. Offense moving all the time, keeping the puck down the ice. Defense and defense helping out, right? Defense always being there at center ice and being able to hatch back and a goaltender that they could rely on. Yeah, and you look at this roster and you look at the faces that have come into town from other places, Johnny Wesco, you look at Finnegan Sayers, Shane Shell, Connor Tate, you know, guys that have made a difference this year. One of the big ones there, I mean, it's the Johnny Wesco and Finnegan Sayers show, man. They, these two tandem up so well, right wing, left wing. They've been playing together for years. One goal, three assists for Sayers, two goals, three assists for Johnny Wesco. And then you go down the list and you look at Nicholas Chioka, a defenseman that gets added on this team. He started twice for him so far in the four games. There's just so much correctly built talent, right? Guys that came in, they knew where the deficiencies were. They brought in other USPHL talent to supplement the talent they have there already. And they've built exactly what you said, a team that is ready to compete at the NCDC and Kersner, the man behind the bench, 
has done an incredible job with what he does. And I think one of the things I'm noticing is that the goals are coming from around the net. They are not afraid to get in front of the net, to create some space, to use that physicality. They've got big players across the board. They've got big forwards, fast defensemen. They're really mixing it up. And I think one of the most interesting statistics right now is where the shots are coming from. And they don't have a goal back. They don't have a large amount of goals back by the blue line right now. And I think that's a place where if you're going to compete in the NCDC down the road, you're going to need to start finding a couple of goals. You're going to want to make sure that you're a threat from back there. So I think what the Rockets are doing is they're finding what's working for them. They're finding that, you know, this is the side we like to overload. You know, we like to overload that potentially that right side. If we're finding that our shots are good from the left, let's overload the right. Let's get four guys working over there and then find this back end skater. Yeah. And then, you know, you look, and you see this Rockets team, and you see the loss they have on that schedule, that OT loss. And it's to a team that I'm going to admit already that Dan K might have gotten a little overzealous saying that they might be off to a slow start this year. Because they are 3-1 and one now. They're at top of the North Division. They're the king of the North right now up there in the NCDC, the Boston Junior Bruins. And one team, Lucas, that we love and we've heard nothing but good things about in the South has been the Powell Junior Islanders. Well, the Islanders this past weekend were beaten by the Junior Bruins and IHC. So that tells you how good these teams are because we've heard nothing but incredible, incredible things about what Powell's doing up there. IHC and the Junior Bruins are looking scary, Lucas. Where do you want to start there? Well, I think I want to start with the Junior Bruins. And I, I feel like a no conversation with the NCDC is complete without the junior Bruins. You know, they're three and one right now sitting on top. They're young this year. They, you, you open that roster and you are seeing a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys. And this was a squad that, you know, last season relied a, a lot on their, their top three guys, right. That they relied on the veteran. And now you're seeing O ones, O twos, their top scorer right now. And O four, and Cameron Lund, the centerman, uh, which, I mean, besides making the two of us feel extremely old. Yeah, it's insane. Is, that's insane. But it, it's, it's, I think, very promising for the Junior Bruins because they're doing well. They're beating teams. They're scoring the puck. They're playing defense. And they're doing it with a young team that I think has a lot of, a lot of potential, not just down the road, not just next year, because you always talk about that with the young team. But I think they have the potential right now, especially with some of the veterans that are still playing the season. Yeah, I'll tell you, we talk about Aiden Harper and Damon Beaver and just how good they've been. But how about Charlie Archer, the rookie netminder for the Junior Bruins? Rookies all over the place doing big things for BJB. He's seen 141 shots in his four starts. He stopped 133. He's getting worked heavily there. 943 saves percentage again in that elite category of saves percentage. Sub two on the goals against average, three and one on the year. This is a guy in net that is nothing to be messed around with. This Boston Junior Bruins team is going to be tough to handle all year long. And Frankie Ireland's a guy, Frankie Ireland's going to have to be big for them all year, as well as Colin Graff at the centerman position. You're going to see that. I, I think as this year goes on, you'll see these guys become more and more confident, more and more okay with taking a leadership role. It's always tough when 
the big names leave, Lucas, when the Johnny Hockeys leave and the guys that were used to filling up the point sheet, you always see when that happens, the first couple of games, it's almost a little game of hot potato, right? It's the idea of, am I the guy who puts it in the net or am I going to continue to be the guy who facilitates? But eventually someone's got to step up. You love to see what Cameron Lund's doing there, stepping up with his three goals and four assists. And I think you're going to see Frankie Ireland and Colin Graff really take the bull by the horns there and start putting up a lot of goals. And speaking of a lot of goals, it's an IHC team we moved to who had seven against the Powell Junior Islanders over the weekend. This IHC team, talk about young, rookie, 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 rookie. I will say it a million more times to make us lose all our viewers, Lucas, but I'll stop right there because this is a rookie-filled squad. And you want to talk about balance and scoring. They are just three games into their season, and there are 19 skaters on the point sheet. 19 skaters have a point already on the year. The most points for anyone, Ryan Murphy, with four points the year 02. And this team, Lucas, gets it from anywhere. Ryan Murphy, the former Richmond general as well, Lucas. Well, you know, we talked to the show open uh, or in the, the segment open a little bit about how, you know, the Jersey hitmen coming out with a strong start is a bit of a, of a running gag amongst, you know, the NCDC players and, and you and I as well. I think the other one that we have to acknowledge is the Islanders Hockey Club rebuilding with a young team. And, and we've talked about that. And, and, you know, the IHC version of rebuilding is just being successful with young skaters. That's all it is. They bring in young skaters. They are successful. Those skaters get older, better, smarter, wiser, more developed inside the system. The team gets better. And Very then, Kanye West of you there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I try to reach out to the young folk. That's, that's what I, I try to do. That's my job on the show, in case you, the folks at home are wondering. I'm youth correspondent, old man Lucas. That's, that's what I do. Are you reaching out to the youth of like 2011? I mean, you got to give me a break here. I, I can't. <laughs> I am trying my best. I did not want this job. I was given this job. You are doing great. Youth correspondent <laughs> Lucas Jones, keep going. Uh, but th- this team is just full of young talent. I, I, of course, we love you know Ryan Murphy and Johan Rosenquist and Kyle Lightfoot and these guys. But I'm looking down at some of these defensemen who are getting on the board right now. And I'm looking at a trio of guys, Mike Krapinski, Cam, Cam Baruby, and Teddy Griffin, who are defensemen with two points apiece, two assists for all of them. So two points each, two assists for all of them. Teddy Griffin getting involved on the power play there. The, this Islanders hockey club team can pass the puck so well every single year. It's amazing. There's never been an IHC team that hasn't been able to pass the puck. And where you see that is with defensemen getting involved in the assist game, knowing where to position yourself on the offensive side to feed the puck to the scorers. It's knowing how to position bodies to open up the weak side of the offense. IHC can do it all. And that's what makes them so deadly. They can go and they can fight on the boards. They can get into the dirty areas. They can do the zone entry game, set up five wide. They can just run guys through the zone and get a breakaway on you. And that's, I think, what makes them so dangerous. Yeah, and you look in net, that's one place where right now it's a battle to see who's going to take the reins between the pipes, between Ryan Nosarino and Jake Perrin. Jake Perrin, a guy who we've waxed poetic on in the past, Lucas. This is a guy who's shown just how good he can be between the pipes. Aviator lineage in him. Uh, he's one and one in the year. 
The goals against averages for Nocerino and Perrin are not where they want them right now. They're going to be honest about that. It's a high shot total they've seen as well. 70 for Perrin and two starts, 41 for Nocerino and one. This is a team that's going to have to kind of limit that shot total a little bit, you know, start putting bodies in front of the net. And I can guarantee you Coach uh, Kirk Costas has them doing that. And it's going to be a fun team to watch as this season progresses. And speaking of a fun team to watch in their first game, Lucas, and speaking of more great goaltending, this has been the year of the goaltender so far because we go to the Boston advantage in that North division. And you want to talk about talking about the junior Bruins and IHC as returning teams that are always towards the top. How about the newcomers in the advantage who go out and beat the twin city thunder in their first ever USPHL NCDC game two nothing and get a shutout with 35 stops from Connor Bradford between the pipes. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a way to, uh, to, to take a Dan Kism there to announce your presence with authority into the USPHL and this Boston advantage team. I mean, we, we saw a little bit of them, you know, at the various events this summer and they look skilled, they look big and, and everything we've heard about this team is that they're going to be immediate contenders in the USPHL. And, and in, it's only been one game, but you know the Dan K show is not above making wild predictions based off of one game. And I think if you're going to make a wild prediction here, it's that this Boston Advantage team is going to be very, very difficult to beat, especially if Connor Bradford continues to play the way he's played so far. He's at 02, six foot two inches, 190 pounds. So He's large and in charge in that net. He's a young skater as well, that O2. So he's already got sort of a leg up on this competition, which, you know, at, at least for me, looking at a young goaltender who plays well, gets that early season shutout, to me, that indicates an understanding of the game. It, 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 it's not just the flashy saves. It's the positioning saves. To save, make 35 saves and not allow a single goal, that goes beyond the flash. That becomes the the guy who knows how to play a position, the guy who can move well in the pipes, the guy who's very confident in net, despite the fact that he's an 0-2 and a rookie. Yeah, and you got Jeff Pallara there with the uh, goal in his first game, as well as at the top of their list there with the game-winning goal, Tony Achille. And, and then you got Ethan Bastian, Ryan Corcoran, Johnny Hamill, Danny Magnuson, all getting involved in the assist game. Sit team with Parker Boulder sitting back there, a name we know well, left winger. Preston Brighton, Jack Burnell, Jason Galati, Colin Marks is another left winger we know well, Lucas. There's so much talent on this Boston Advantage side, and it's a team that has a good mix of veteran talent with, with youth as well, and you're going to have it. It's a team that's built to go at it now. You know, they're not waiting for next year. This is not a team that's trying to dip their toes in the water. This is a team that sees an opportunity after an interesting offseason to get right to it. They know what they do well. They develop talent. They recruit well. And they've done both things here to build a team that can go at it immediately. And they are going to factor into the North right away. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see exactly where they end up after a few games. You know, the NCDC is picking up steam. These teams are starting to play each other a little bit more. And it'll be interesting to see if that goaltending can stand the test, if the offense can continue to produce. I think one of the things that we've seen in the NCDC over our last few years of covering them is the parody, you know, parody with a T in terms of how good they are. And, and they, it's, the NCDC has parody down to a T here, Dan, because every single year there is movement from 
two to four, there's always movement early on. Then as the season gets going, you'll see a team start in 10th and just kind of slowly work their way up. And all of a sudden they're in fifth or fourth place. And you see what teams do year to year. Powell Junior Islanders two years ago, uh, missing the playoffs. Then this past year being insanely competitive. Uh, New Hampshire Junior Monarchs just last season you know, fighting for their, their playoff lives, then going out and getting some goaltending help. And all of a sudden now they're a factor in the playoffs. So I think that's one of the great things about the NCDC is, you know, there's always so much parity and there's always so much movement and you factor a new team, like the ball, like the advantage in. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that impacts that division and whether this team ends up being a wild card spoiler or whether they end up grabbing the reins and establishing themselves early. Yeah, Lucas, before we move on, I think it's a great place to transition. I mean, how about that New Hampshire Junior Monarchs NCDC squad? Their first game back after the loss of coach and GM of the New Hampshire Junior Monarchs, Ryan Frew, and they go out against the New ha- a Northern Cyclones team that is built to win right now and might be one of the best teams in this thing. And they win it 5-1, and as the boys said after the game, 4 through. And that's what it was. They were Frew strong. They battled through that matchup. They went out there, and they looked so good in that game. And to play under those circumstances, to play with those types of emotions behind you, Lucas, I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. It, people don't understand. You know, when you don't, when you don't play the game, it's hard enough to play it any sport, anywhere at a high level when you're in the perfect mental state when you're right where you want to be, when you're feeling good, when you, when you had your time, when you've eaten the, the meal you eat before every game and you've gotten your pregame in and you've done it all. But the emotion that is a surrounding a team or a person or an individual during a time like this, for these young men to rise up, to come together, that's not just a hockey moment. That's a life moment that every one of these young men is going to remember forever and it is going to shape them it is going to be a story they tell their kids and and i know it's just one game but the importance of it i mean what a job by these guys riley enderley grant porter both with goals in the first period and second period correction and then putting it away was eric brown with two of his own and kevin urquhart finally closing it out with a fifth and empty netter at the 18 10 mark uh, arter oganzanian who's insanian between the pipes man stopped 31 of 32 Overall, though, these guys just – they did what they had to do and took care of business, and a, and a big kudos to every single Monarch out there. Yeah, I mean, it's – you know, it's unimaginable. And and to be able to to go ahead and, and even play that game and, and play it to the level in which they did is just such a testament to what that program does and I think what, what Coach Frew had, uh, you know, had preached. And, and, you know, one of the things I think we – or I should say that one of the uh, the quotes that we that we had that has stuck with me has been something that he said on on our first very first episode of the podcast is that if we can make them better people that's just as important to me as when we're trying to make them better hockey players and in this moment the hockey player is supported by the person that gives them the motivation to get out there and play the game and you know, to, to be able to do what they're doing, like I said, is, is for me is unimaginable. And uh, to see the success that they had in that, that one game, I, I think you're right, Dan. I think that's something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. 
Yeah, I know we will as well, and, and we'll always remember Coach Frew, an, an incredible coach behind the bench and an incredible guy that, that we certainly love here. Big win for the Monarchs. And if you want to hear about your NCDC team and you didn't hear about them on this week's show, don't fret, don't worry. Tune in next Thursday to the Dan K Show on USPHL YouTube. We'll also post it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the Dan K Show. And watch because we'll be talking about those other NCDC squads as well and recapping what happened in this upcoming week throughout the NCDC. We got a lot more to talk about there in the NCDC, a big time year for them coming up. The NCDC is where it's at. It is the premier experience in hockey. We thank the USPHL for, as always, being an exclusive partner and sponsor of the Dan K Show, as well as Elite Junior Profiles. That's EliteJRProfiles.com, the official sponsor of the power rankings for the Dan K Show, and also good friends of the Dan K Show. And with that, we think about it because the recruiting experience Elite Junior Profiles is dealing with you, right, and helping you with understands that it's not just about what happens on the ice. When you fill out your Elite Junior Profiles profile and you sign up for it at EliteJRProfiles.com, you got you to gotta make sure to put in that academic information, that educational information. you got to put in those grades, dem grades, as I say. And Lucas, you're the grades guy here. You're the guy who has that educational background, that academic background, and you're here to help the people learn that the game of hockey is more than just what happens on the ice, but off the ice. Take it away with the academic corner. Thanks, Dan. And I think the last couple of weeks, my my advice has been very general. It's been sort of, you know, uh, it's not been very specific. It hasn't been very practical. It's been mostly life advice. So let's get into the specific here. One of the things that I've noticed in my time as a tutor is that students sometimes struggle with writing essays and this is certainly not a case of old man yells at cloud uh, because these essays get, you know, objectively graded and objectively looked at. And I think there's, there's a four-step process that students should consider using uh, when they're writing a paper. And it's think, seek, evaluate, and construct. Before you write a paper, think about the task at hand. Is it a creative piece? Maybe create an outline. Is it an investigative or argumentative piece? Figure out where you want to go. And once you've decided what you think and why you think it, write out those ideas. Then seek other views and more evidence. Make sure you examine all the sides to what you think. You might find that you might have to reevaluate your position and that's okay. That's what college is for. If I still had all my views that I entered college when I left college, then what would be the point of college? It's to learn new things and understand new topics. And once you find those views, you have to evaluate them. Not all opinions are created equal, and your college classes will teach you how to evaluate these sources and find out which ones are credible and which ones are not. And once you've done all those steps, it's time to construct your view, the one that has the most evidence from the best sources and the best analysis and the most support and the best grammar and the best structure. That is how to make a perfect essay. That is how to better your writing ability. And that is how you can continue to grow as a person over the next four years. Wow. Some incredible, incredible advice from Lucas Jones. And with that, I looked to Lucas and I asked him for his parting words. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
That was pretty good. Well, I'll, I'll give my parting words. Normally I have a guest on here to talk about it, but this week I'm going to use the word recovery, I think is what I'm going to use. I think that's a good word because as we're starting to get back into the hockey season and we're playing these games, we're, we're seeing like you start to play again, right? You start to wear yourself down. You start to feel that tired feeling when you played those back-to-backs on a weekend, or maybe you've been at a showcase and played three or four games over 72 hours and you need to recover on Monday, right? You need to get back to it. You need to take that deep breath, but also in a game of hockey, and you know, this is something with bell let's talk, you know, that we, we see each and every year and we try to revisit and we try to talk about the mental health of all of our athletes too. And, and recovery comes there as well, right? It, it's about sometimes there's a lot going on in your life. Sometimes you're on the road. Sometimes you, you, especially now you're introducing in trying to stay healthy, trying to wear that mask. Remember your social distancing. You're trying to get yourself not just through the week, but to the week and to the weekend and onto the ice. And then when you're done on the ice, you're trying to get back home and navigate this very different world right now. And, and with that, I, I just remind y'all, take moments. Take moments to yourself. You know, give yourself some quiet. Give yourself, make sure you still got that thing you love. For me, I love hitting the links, right? You get out in the golf course. That's recovery for me. Get yourself something you love to do and do that thing when you have the time. Coach doesn't make you practice 24 hours a day for a reason. It's because you need your you time. Make sure you get it. Make sure we keep bouncing back, getting ready, and getting back in that ice to be better than we can be every single day. When Dan K's on the mic, it's always hockey night. Make sure to follow the Dan K Show at Twitter, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the underscore Dan K Show. Or go to www.dankshow.com. Reach out to us there on the contact page. Let us know what you think about the show, what you want us to talk about. And if you want to be a guest, don't be afraid to let us know. Thanks for watching this week and keep watching the Dan K Show.